1: Hey everyone, Chad here with a quick update. I've been in the process of moving across the country, so unfortunately this week there will be no new episode. I'm just now getting settled into my new place, so this week and next week, I'll be bringing you rebroadcast episodes. Disturbed will return with brand new episodes on May 11th. Stay safe and we'll see you soon.
2: This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener
0: discretion is advised. I continued walking towards my car, but when I turned back to look at him, he was now walking towards me with a purpose.
3: I froze. You're on private militia property and trespassers get shot.
4: I turned my head to see Laura shaking and growling like some sort of wild animal.
2: From Disturbed Media... Join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed.
1: Welcome back in everyone, and thanks for joining me. Today I'm bringing you four true horrifying tales that you won't wanna miss. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show hearing from Reddit user Magnus Gallant, featuring voice work by Tom Aglio, and we try to understand the smiling
0: man. A couple years ago, one of my closest friends relocated cross-country with his longtime girlfriend to work a job he couldn't refuse. Only issue he had was that he did not want to fly his dogs out with him when they made the move since they'd be staying in a hotel for the first month. He was also a bit reticent to fly them out due to health concerns for both pets. By the time he located a home to rent, he was missing his furry buddies and made the request of his sister, another close friend, and myself to drive them to him in LA. Now, we are Chicago folks, so the trip would be a long one. However, With the three of us to foot the near 30-hour drive, it would be a piece of cake. We left early and drove long hours. Along the way, it was decided between my friend and I that we'd foot the majority of the drive ourselves, and if we needed to, we'd let our friend's sister do some driving. We were on a bit of a time crunch due to a snafu with the rental agreement. So we didn't have the luxury to stop very often past an eight-hour stay at a Denver La Quinta Inn. As for the journey itself, it was relatively smooth barring getting pulled over right before entering Utah for driving for two miles in the left lane of an empty highway. Whoops. (laughs) From that point, we made it through Utah, Arizona, and Nevada without much trouble until we entered California in need of gas. I had been driving for the majority of the first day and tagged my buddy in after being pulled over. I remained in the shotgun seat as navigator, searching through the GPS for a fuel stop. We kept our eyes peeled for road signs and discovered a sign pointing to Yermo Ghost Town, or something along those lines, which had a mobile station. How wonderful. It was convenient, too, as it was located almost directly off of the interstate. We rolled in on a little more than fumes when we approached the pumps. Normally, we let the dogs out at every rest stop, but having stopped not long before then and with both dogs sleeping snugly in the back, I decided to pump gas without anyone else leaving the vehicle. My buddy pulled us up on the opposite side of a beat-up green sedan with a short, plump gentleman who just turned in to approach the shop. I noticed a few other hoopties at the pumps, all unoccupied. There were a couple of other cars parked up near the station, most likely belonging to the employees, so nothing seemed out of the ordinary, until I swiped my credit card. Pump rejected my first swipe attempt, which I chalked up to a misread. I swiped again, and the pump reads, please see attendant." I was annoyed, but we needed gas. I tapped on the window and told my buddy what I was doing, and asked if anyone needed anything. After taking their orders for Gatorade and Marlboro Reds, I walked up to the store and made a mental note of how strange this gas station was. Kind of quiet, especially for one right off the interstate, but that's no matter. As I walked in though, more weirdness. First thing I noticed is that there are some boxes of chips just left on the floor, like someone was stocking shelves and just quit. As I veered to my right, I noticed that immediately there was no one milling about in the place. The six cars behind my own out there, I felt like I would see someone. Things got even weirder when I realized there was no one behind the counter, no customers or workers, and then it dawned on me what had happened to the gentleman who was at the pump adjacent to mine. Surely they can't all be in the bathroom. This is where I begin to feel this gnawing sensation in my stomach. Something isn't right. I have always been a person who felt like I could trust my instincts, and those instincts were screaming at me to just get the hell out. I want to run, but I hold back. I would look suspicious booking it out of a gas station that was empty and decided to just play it cool, natural. Don't let your body language let on to how badly you're freaking out in your head. I was probably inside of this gas station for only a couple of minutes when I left, but I stopped just before exiting to listen for something. Anything, a flushing toilet would have been a good sound, but nothing. As I exit the shop and see my car, I begin to feel dread. It's like that moment in a movie where the hero is about to make it to the end of their trial, but the celebratory fanfare disappears, and in that silence, something comes and strikes them down. I'm about 25 yards from the car when I see this gentleman come out from around the side of the shop opposite of me. This is not the same man as I saw while pumping gas. He was larger, and had a peculiar look on his face. The best way I could describe it was like Nick Cage's smile from Face Off before the titular act had occurred. I continued walking towards my car, but when I turned back to look at him, he was now walking towards me with a purpose. At this point, I noped my way back to the car with increased urgency in my step. And of course, my friend has the door to the car locked like a complete douche clown. There's also the 95-pound golden retriever sitting in my seat, Apparently, my travel companions did not notice how freaked out I was or the creepy gentleman still walking in my direction. I punched the window and told them to unlock the fucking door, to which he only half rolls down the window to tell me the dog was in my seat and they were afraid she'd jump out when I opened the door. I reached my hand in and threw the dog towards the back seat as hard as I could, while my friend is just now realizing how freaked out I am. He started the car and drove off quickly. I took one last look back and seen Nick Cage had stopped about a pump away from where we were, still with that same look on his face. We found another gas station further down the road, this time with a ton of people inside and out. After thoroughly creeping out my friends with the story as I pumped gas, we made our way back to the interstate, which meant passing that gas station again. It's been about 15 minutes since we pulled out initially, and we go silent as we notice that those very same cars are still sitting in the same spots where we had left them. After thoroughly freaking out for a few miles, I received a phone call from my credit card company about a $100 charge at a mobile station. The lady on the phone was really helpful in fixing the situation for me, was as entirely creeped out by the situation as we were. In the end, we made it to LA and had a great vacation. But it still bothers me as to what the hell was going on at this little gas station off the highway. What the hell was that smiling man's story? So crazy smiling man and whoever else was lying in wait at the Yermo ghost town exit mobile station, let's not meet.
2: Do you have your own terrifying encounter? Did something unexplained happen to you? Let us know and get featured on the podcast. Email mystory at disturbedpodcast.com.
1: Next up, we check in with Reddit user AKs and Fire, featuring voice work by Sarah Thomas. And we're on the run from an armed militia.
3: Alaska is the perfect place to go if you want to get away from the rest of the world. As America's least densely populated state, you have plenty of breathing room from any kind of authority or prying eyes that may want to know what you're up to. For this reason, my home state is very attractive to all sorts of weird and unsavory groups. I've stumbled across Scientology centers at the end of a dirt back road with nothing else for miles around, Heard stories from doomsday preppers who claimed to have bunkers made out of shipping containers in the sides of mountains. And met people who have come out of religious cults in the interior that wanted to keep their followers away from any contact with the outside world. All of this and more you can find in Alaska. I was born and raised in Anchorage, the only big city in the state. Growing up, we had about 250,000 people in a city it takes about 30 minutes tops to drive across. So that gives you an idea of what we up north consider a big city. The only other real city in the state is Fairbanks. These two cities are connected by 360 miles of two-lane highway. It's a seven-hour drive one way to get between them through one of the most beautiful landscapes on the planet. Mountains rise up on either side of you between Anchorage and Denali National Park before you drive through these colossal canyons past Denali is another three hours of driving through a vast, flat interior plain with mountains in the distance. I say all this to help you understand just how desolate it feels in Alaska, even on the highway. After you get out of Anchorage or Fairbanks, there's nothing but wilderness as far as the eye can see, save for the occasional small town with a max population of about 1,000 people on a good day. 10 years back, it was even less. Alaskan girls are built tough. We change tires, hunt, fish, camp, and generally have a great appreciation for the great outdoors that women in the lower 48 don't really have if they're near a city. The joke is that Anchorage is the biggest rural city in the country. All this brings context to the following story. In high school, things were different, or at least they felt different. I was a young and stupid woman who thought I could conquer anything due to the aforementioned built-tough attitude I was raised with. Senior year of high school, I decided to treat myself to a camping trip in the mountains up past Elkeetna. Nothing fancy, just an overnight or two in the most beautiful state at the most beautiful time of year, mid-June. Going up north in peak summer here has a weird feeling to it. The sun never really sets. If you've ever seen the movie Midsommar, that's what it's like. It gets to about dusk, and that's it. It's still bright and sunny out the whole night through. The false sense of security I had thinking that the midnight sunlight would mean safety probably nearly got me killed, or worse. My second mistake was not telling anyone where I was going. I just packed up for my trip, stopped at Subway for lunch, and headed out into the great beyond. The drive was fine. A solid two and a half hours of driving north along the highway took up most of the afternoon as I jammed out to the greatest hits from the radio on Cool 97.3. After you get through the Matsu Valley, you get into the mountains again. Tall spruce and evergreen trees lined the road on both sides, with the occasional empty space where there's been some clear-cut logging. All of this gives you a sense that, while you're out in the wilderness, you are still connected to civilization in some way. This led me to my biggest mistake, not staying at a state park campground. I was in high school with only a part-time job and didn't want to pay the $15 overnight camp fee, and was too scared to risk the fine. So I found a spot that looked good and pulled off the road. The map I got from my dad said there was an old mining site up a nearby mountain. So I decided that would be the best spot to head to for an overnight. My logic must have been that it was badass to spend a night in a mining ghost town or something. Pulled off the road, packed up my backpack, put on some bug spray, grabbed my map and compass, and started off into the woods. Now, this hadn't been the first time I had done this. I've been on wilderness backpacking trips on my own with my dad through my childhood. I knew my orientation skills and had taken some wilderness survival courses at camp. I wasn't just some dumb blonde wandering off into the woods with no idea of where I was. Or so I thought. A solid 45 minute hike up into the hills and I finally made it to where the old mining camp was supposed to be. There was nothing there. Just an old concrete foundation with some holes in it and nothing else. I was very disappointed, but unsurprised at the outcome. I set up camp off in the woods and set to building a fire for dinner on the concrete slab. Here, you're supposed to set up cooking a ways off from your camp, just in case bears are nosy. Last thing you want is a 1,300-pound grizzly poking his nose in your tent, wondering why you smell like Campbell's soup and s'mores. By this time, it was getting late, about 10 p.m., but the sun was still high in the sky, and by the time dinner was over, it was nearly 11. I was starving and dug in. About an hour later, it was about as dark as it was going to get, so I hunkered down in my tent for the night, confident that the overgrowth was private enough for whatever animals might come out around then. I woke up to voices in the distance and slow-moving crashing through the underbrush. My first thought was hunters. My dad and I had run into a few on some campouts, so this wasn't uncommon. I relaxed and figured they would just pass through without incident and close my eyes again. That's when they found my fire pit. A man's voice cried out into the brightish forest, Who the fuck is camping on our property? I froze. I knew I had fucked up. So I was getting up, grabbing my purse and putting on my shoes so I could go apologize before I heard the man again. When we find you, you're fucking dead. You're on private militia property and trespassers get shot. That's when the whole situation changed. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't just pack up my tent and shit with some armed guy lurking around. I carefully put on my shoes, put my keys in my purse, and slunk away into the underbrush as quietly as I could. My thought was to slip away, wait until they got bored and left, then go back, pack up, and leave. I spent 20 minutes hunkered behind a log in the woods, barely in earshot before I heard a second voice calling for the others. They had found my tent, and were tearing it apart going through my stuff. I heard one voice shout out, Bed's still warm, and trespasser's a chick. She left her underwear. The first man shouted out, Okay, fan out and find her. Bitch thinks she can trespass, then there's gonna be hell to pay. At that point, I wasn't concerned that I had left my spare change of underwear in my bag, or that these creeps had found it. I just needed to get out of there. Quietly, I made my way down the mountain for a good 30 minutes, tiptoeing and taking care not to step on twigs or make a ruckus. After the rustling and shouting of the men had faded quite a bit, I set bucket and booked it as fast as I could in the midnight sun down the hills. I tripped and fell and got scraped up more times than I'd care to remember. Finally, I made it back to the road, but much to my horror, there was no car. I knew I had come out, up, or down the road from where I had been. I couldn't quite remember where I was at the time, but picked a direction and started walking. I rounded a corner on the road and saw my car and the two men standing beside it. They were armed and dressed in surplus military gear. I hid in the brush on the side of the road and watched. A while later, several more men appeared from the trail I had taken. They dumped all of my stuff next to my car hopped back on their ATVs and drove off. I went up to my car, careful not to be seen, and found a note on my dashboard. It read something like, if we ever catch you on our property again, we won't hesitate to use force. Consider this a warning. I went back to start loading stuff into my car and noticed what they had done. They cut up or destroyed all of my gear, probably as a punishment for trespassing. Honestly, I'm thankful they did that, because I'm grateful I didn't get shot. Ever since then, I have taken great care to camp only in designated camping areas. To the weird Alaskan militia group, I know you weren't actually going to kill me, but nevertheless, let's not meet.
1: It's not just about the stories but also the science and psychology behind them so if you're interested in true crime or mental health i'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts
2: 24 hours ago i found out the person i'd been dating and seeing for the last six months
4: as a con man that is my sister emma
1: And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors.
4: Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.
2: Now back to the horror. Disturbed podcast with your host, Chad. Up next
1: is an email submission from Raise All, featuring voice work by Tanya E. B. and we take a walk through the forest.
5: Before I begin, it's important to acknowledge that my encounter takes place in Thunder Bay, Ontario, in Canada, home to and land of the Ojibwe of Fort William First Nation. I have a good friend whom I will refer to as Rem. At the time of our encounter, Rem and I had been very close friends for approximately four years and have had a lot of wacky adventures. She was not above toting us around in her parents' van as we blasted meatloaf at obnoxiously high volumes with the windows down, cruising the streets of our city. We met and became friends in Winnipeg, Manitoba, which is also located in Canada. If you know anything about Canada and its horrifying history of European colonization, you will know that the First Nations peoples are victims of mass genocide. I refuse to use the phrase attempted genocide because the continued erasure of this culture's rich history is an ongoing homicide against these people, their stories, and their spiritual practices. My story begins in September of 2018. Ram had just moved the next province over in the spring of 2017 to live with her partner, Dan, who was born and raised in Thunder Bay. Naturally, I missed her terribly, and was quick to arrange a visit to more or less just be in her presence. While I was there, I enjoyed the company of Rem, Dan, and Rem's tattoo artist friend, Mo. One evening, Mo tattooed one of my own paintings on my arm, and afterward, we smoked weed in her living room and sketched, and I watched Rem and Mo play a video game that I cannot recall at this time. Another evening, Rem made candles to give to loved ones as gifts, and I video-called my new partner, who remained in Winnipeg, all the while breathing in cool, fragile air and pacing around under a piercingly illuminated crescent moon. The mood of the entire trip was relatively light-hearted, though at times submitted to a more melancholy feel. Thunder Bay is no stranger to grey skies and light fog as it is just to the east of Lake Superior, making this type of nuanced characteristic seem par for the course. It was either my second or third day in the city, and Rem, Dan, and myself decided to take advantage of the mild weather and spend the day outside exploring the rivers, springs, and general green space. Needless to say, these surroundings are very comforting to us all, so we were quite pleased to be climbing over jagged rocks and plundering down small embankments all afternoon. Ultimately, we agreed that a walk through the forest would be just what our souls needed to feel nourished. The wooded area was dense, but had clearings where people could either bike or walk down. This particular forest was one that both Rem and Dan were very familiar with, and was often visited by them. I was in awe of all the different species of trees, birds, mushrooms, and plants, and was so captivated by the vibrancy of the foliage that I lost myself in taking snapshots of every new moss-cloaked log that I could find. The bark of trees proudly displayed brooches of fungi, and the turning leaves shimmered with flecked kisses from the sun. We were enjoying our trogging around until the mood suddenly shifted, less nuanced melancholy, and instead felt more ominous, dull, and seeping. I'll never forget the moment that Rem and I looked at each other, reading each other's chilled expressions. We both heard it at the exact same time. Dan was a little further ahead of us on the trail. We called to him. Yes, he heard it too. The sound was distant and breathy, yet echoed clearly in the spaces between the trees. The sound was distinctly that of some type of wind instrument, though I have never been able to discern which one. I feel the need to emphasize that there was absolutely no one else anywhere in our vicinity, making the sound of the wind instrument at all audible nearly impossible, especially considering how crisply we could all hear it. As our eyes darted around the bristled giants and their brooches and sun-kissed leaves, Rem's eyes eventually connected with mine, and she said what I was thinking. We need to leave, now. Though the feeling gradually overcoming us was not what I would consider sinister, it was still not a very pleasant feeling. It felt more like contempt, displeasure that we were there. We didn't run along the path, but instead hurried our steps, as if running would send shockwaves vibrating through the whole forest and throw off Earth's balance entirely. As we picked up the paces, not only could we hear the instrument in the distance, but we could also feel it. The music cloaked us in a translucent blanket of darkness and followed closely behind every step of the way. Rem and I didn't speak, just plugged along the trail instinctively, knowing exactly what each other was experiencing. I remember thinking that this thick, sullen darkness was going to catch up with us and swallow us whole. As this thought manifested, we saw the mouth of the forest up ahead ready to regurgitate us from its gullet. Dan, like a bear leading her cubs to safety, timbered loftily towards the sun-laced opening. Upon first impact of our feet meeting concrete on the other side, Rem and I stated at the exact same time, it's lifted. And it had. The music stopped instantly upon us exiting the forest, and the darkness that had stalked us vanished. Rem and I discussed what we had experienced later that evening, and both expressed that we had felt an immense feeling of heaviness and dread being lifted from us as soon as we had left the forest behind. I am no stranger to the spirit realm. It's something that I have been connected to my entire life. This particular experience, however, has always left me feeling sorrowful for the watcher of that forest. I wholeheartedly believe that they don't mean any harm. They are simply protecting their land— a sovereign for every living species that thrives in that forest, a host for every creature who calls it home. Thank you, Forest, for allowing us to enjoy your beauty. As for the Watcher of the Forest, I'm sorry that we'd intruded without being welcomed first. I hope Grandfather Sun shines brightly upon you and Grandmother Moon keeps you well.
2: Are you terrified yet? you will be.
3: Hi, I recently discovered your channel, and I really like the stories that are submitted. It uh, passes the time when I don't work at morning, or in the mornings, calling from Adrian. So thanks again, and I'll be looking forward to uh, the new stories. Thanks a bunch.
1: And finally, our title story coming to us from Reddit user TSP of Charity, featuring voice work by Melissa Medina. And we invite in A Girl Called Laura.
4: When I was 10 years old, I lived in a relatively small town in Texas in a small house with my mom. My mom has always had a very caring heart for those in need. So when my uncle called her one night and told her he ran into a homeless girl at the local park, my mom offered to help her out for a day or so just to get her back on her feet, that sort of thing. When the girl arrived at my house, she said her name was Laura. Laura told us she was 16 at the time. She seemed like a shy girl. When my mother asked what she was doing out on the streets, Laura told us she had been kicked out of her home by her mom because her mom had accused her of sleeping with her boyfriend. Laura told us that allegation wasn't true. She told us her mother's boyfriend was the one who came on to her. My mom gave Laura a place to sleep in the guest bedroom that night. The next day, after breakfast, Laura asked to use my mom's house phone to call her mom to see if she could get some of her things from her mom's house. Laura's mom never answered the phone, and we felt bad for her. As a 10-year-old girl, I couldn't imagine what she must have been going through. Later that day, I remember watching TV in the living room and minding my own business, but I could feel someone staring at me, so I turned my head where I felt the gaze. Laura was sending me a glare so cold that if looks could kill, I would have dropped dead. I was confused and a little startled. I turned my head away from her quickly and went back to watching TV, but I could still feel Laura's cold gaze I couldn't understand what I had done to her to cause her to look at me with such hate the next day it happened once more I was in the kitchen getting a glass of water when I could feel someone looking at me I turned my head to the side and saw Laura's head peering around the corner at me her eyes were dark and laced with hatred it frightened me and I felt so confused as to why she was looking at me like this I didn't want to cause any trouble so I didn't bring up Laura's death glares to my mother at all. Later that night, my uncle had joined us for dinner. He had stopped by to see how everything was with Laura and if we had any luck finding her a place to live with one of her family members. After dinner, I was washing my plate in the sink when I heard a loud growling sound coming from the dining room. I turned my head to see Laura shaking and growling like some sort of wild animal. My mom and uncle looked disturbed and worried. Laura threw herself onto the floor and began thrashing around and screaming as if she were possessed. I was absolutely terrified. It was a scary thing to witness. When I grew up very religious, my mom and uncle began praying out loud for Laura while I ran to my room and closed the door. And this went on for two hours but it felt like an eternity of horror. I could hear Laura screaming like a mad woman and and growling like some sort of deranged beast. I don't think any of us knew exactly what was going on. After my mom and uncle had prayed for Laura for what felt like forever, Laura told us she was free from an evil demon that had taken over her. None of us were sure what had caused her behavior, None of us were sure what had even happened. I peeked my head out of my room to see Laura smiling happily while she curled up on the couch with a blanket. Her eyes opened and she shot a cold glare at me. I quickly closed my bedroom door in fear. I placed a chair in front of my bedroom door and went to sleep. I woke up the next morning by my mom waking me up. She told me that she was taking me out to eat at my favorite restaurant. When I asked her if Laura was going, she gave me a serious expression and spoke. Your uncle's gonna take Laura back to her mom's house. He slept on the couch last night after what happened. He and I were talking when the two of you had gone to sleep and we pieced together that Laura made the entire performance up last night, she said. She is not stable and we think she's dangerous. As I heard my mom say those words, relief, washed over me. I got dressed and went to the car to go to the restaurant with my mom. When we got into the car, we saw Laura and my uncle getting into his truck with her. Laura looked angry. Her expression was of a child's when you don't give them what they want. She got into my uncle's car and they drove away. I'm 22 now and I've never forgotten about this horrific incident that happened in my life years ago. After that day, I never saw Laura or heard anything else about her ever again.
1: If you'd like to get your story on the show, we have several different submission options available, and you can find them all at disturbedpodcast.com. Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and your support. And if you'd like to support the show, you can get early access to our premium feed featuring ad-free listening and bonus episodes. Visit patreon.com disturbedpodcast disturbed podcast to learn more. And let's shout out our newest supporters, Shalina Taylor, Miranda Almendinger, Kenya, David Brown, Melva Brown, Jameer Bradley, and Karen Cooper. Thanks everyone so much for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at WhiteBatAudio and Co.ag Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.